Thank you for tuning in to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a church located in Lexington, Kentucky, with a heart for God and a vision for the gospel. I'm Derek Holmes, lead pastor. So grab your Bibles and let's hear from the Word. The book of Ruth, it has been this beautiful love story, and it sits um, right in the middle of the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is anything but beautiful. It's bloody. Uh, it's marked by a time when people was re- were rebelling against God. There's a lot of violence in it. There's chaos. There's sorrow. There's tragedy. The book of Judges is just a nasty, awful time and period in history uh, as we look into the Bible. But sitting in the middle of that book uh, is this beautiful parenthetical story of Boaz and Ruth and this love story that takes place. It's believed, actually, that Boaz and Ruth's romance takes place almost at the very same time that Samson and Delilah's romance takes place. Now, if you know much about Samson and Delilah, a little bit of a different story, right? So when we started this series, I kind of mentioned that, you know, when it comes to like romantic comedies and when it comes to love stories and especially romance movies, you've got two networks that you really go to, right? You go to the Hallmark Channel and the Hallmark Channel is going to be that real syrupy, warm, sweet, everybody's going to have a happy ending at the end of the movie every single time, right? But then you've got the movies that kind of take place on the Lifetime Network. And the Lifetime Network, you never know what you're going to get. It's going to be a mixed bag of psycho and crazy. And the message there is basically men are awful and love is pain. And that's a basically, you don't know how it's going to end. All you know, it ain't ending good for the guy. That's all you know right there. So today the big question is, is it going to be a Hallmark ending or is it going to be a Lifetime ending? I hope that you realize that all the way through there's been a spoiler all the way through this series. Like, why would we sing a song like Waymaker all month long, that God's a Waymaker, he's the promise keeper, he's gonna make everything work in time? Why would we do that just to end this with, no, everything turns out terrible. Ruth murders Boaz, uh, you know, so, you know, it's not gonna end up that way, okay? It's gonna be a good and it's gonna be a happy ending. That's basically the title of the the message this morning. But um, we've seen these ingredients that take place in every good love story. We saw in week one through Ruth, there's that conflicted character, that introduction of the conflicted characters. Life is not going good. There's something missing from their life. And that's what you see in Ruth and Boaz. And, this, and, and they're in need of some sort of redemption. They're in need of love that is going to make their life work out. And in chapter two, it gave us that thing that takes place in every good love, love story is the meet cute. You know, when the two, when the two uh, people meet and they don't know each other and they meet in some, some kind of just way that makes you realize that the forces of nature are bringing them together. It's not like they chose this, but this just happened. And that's known as the meet cute. We saw that happen with Ruth and Boaz too. Chapter three, like we looked at last week, gave us the declaration of love. Right? There's usually either a wedding proposal or they finally say, you know, I like you, even though they fought it, even though everything has been fighting against them, they finally come to the place where they both admit, yes, I love you. And that's the moment when you begin to feel like everything is coming together. Last week we saw that as Ruth came to Boaz in the middle of the night, which looked kind of kind of like, what's going on here? But we saw how everything kind of turned out culturally. Uh, it was being done the right way, actually. And now we come to this last ingredient today in chapter 4. We come to this last ingredient, which is the happy, happily ever after moment. So chapter 3, just to kind of review, left us with Boaz promising Ruth. Yes, I will redeem your family. Yes, I will marry you. But we've got something standing in the way. There's this guy who is actually closer to the family in relation than I am. And so he has first rights to redeem. And then he says this at the end of chapter three, but listen, Ruth, I'm not going to let that happen. The very first thing tomorrow morning, when the sun comes up, you better believe that I'm going to take care of this. 
And we were left, the last scene that we saw was, was Ruth and Naomi back at the house. And Ruth is all excited. She's like, I'm going to get married. She's pulled out Bridal Magazine. She's, you know, she's logged on and she's looking up David's bridal or whatever, you know, say yes to the dress episodes and all that type of stuff, okay? And Naomi says, hold on now, slow down. We don't know how this is going to go. But I promise you that Boaz is going to do everything that he can to make it right. So here we go in verse number one. It says, then Boaz went up to the gate. Now, the gate of the city is the place where the official business was done in those days. It was kind of like the city hall or it's kind of like the courthouse where everything was done. And it had been said before that what was decided at the city gate was the final word. And it says that Boaz went and he sat down there and behold, the kinsman that Boaz spake about came by. Now get this. This is another just so happened moment, right? We've been talking about a lot of just so happened moments going through uh, this story. You know, like Boaz just so happened to be a a kindred redeemer and uh, Ruth just so happened to go into his field to glean and Boaz just so happened to go to the field the day that Ruth was there and all of these just so happened moments that we realize is not a just so happened thing, it's God working those things out, right? So all of a sudden, the one guy that Boaz needs to talk to shows up when Boaz is there. Anybody else kind of like, ooh, that's creepy, right? No, that's just God. That's what he's doing, right? They didn't have, he didn't text message and say, hey, meet me at the gate. He just happened to be there. And he says, he set them down, and behold, the kinsman came by. And unto him he said, whoa, such a one. Or he says, hey, guy. Or he says, hey, man, turn aside and sit down here. Let's talk for a minute. And he turned aside, and he sat down. And then he took ten men of the elders of the city. Now, the elders of the city were required to come in for official business to take place. And it was written in the Levitical law that ten elders were required, a quorum, was required for business to take place. So Boaz comes and he just basically pulls this guy unknowing over and says, hey, I need to talk to you about some business. And he's like, oh, here's all these guys. Let's just go ahead and pull them over and let's take care of this. And he said, sit down here. And they sat down and he said unto the kinsman, Naomi is come again out of the country of Moab and she's selling a parcel of her land, which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise it to you, or I thought to let you know again, again, because I wanted to say to you, buy it before the inhabitants, before the elders of my people, because if you will redeem it, go ahead and redeem it, because it's your right. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, because there is none to redeem it besides you, and I'm after you. And so the man says, hold on, you mean there's land available? And at this point, it's going to be available at a very discounted rate. And he's like, I can grab a piece of land over here? I'm going to do that. Yeah. And he says, I will redeem it. And he goes, and it's like, kind of like he says, oh, you mean there's this land over here? Yeah. Thanks for letting me know about that. I appreciate that. It's really nice. And then said Boaz in verse number five, what day that you buy the field of the hand of Naomi, you must also buy, you must also have the Ruth of, of, the, Mo, of the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. Now you got to love how Boaz handles this here, right? He's like this master poker player. Remember, Boaz has got it bad for Ruth. He wants to be Ruth's husband. He wants to redeem her. He wants to to marry her. And he knows that his entire future lays on what this guy says and whether he's going to redeem or not. And so he lays out all of this and he says, hey, man, you got this piece of land. It's going to be beautiful. But then about the time that he's all excited, here's what he says. And this guy's all excited. He gets, him, he gets him with a negative that the field comes with some strings attached. He says, you got to take care of Naomi. you got to marry Ruth the widow, and you have to have a son with her. And then after you have the son with her, the land will go to that guy and that son instead of your own son. So basically, you're going to buy this field and give it away to Elimelech's name. 
It's kind of like saying, hey, you want to buy this house? It's a great deal, but there's a couple of things. There's this, like, there's this like cretankerous old lady that lives up in the second floor, and she's like sublet that, and you can't get her out of there. It's like rent-controlled. You can't get her out there. And then uh, on top of that, you are ma- got to marry this Moabite woman, and who knows how many of her cousins are going to want to come live with you from Moab. So it's all of a sudden not looking too good to the Redeemer at this point. And look at verse number six. It says, the kinsman said, I can't redeem this for myself. You could probably read it like this too. I won't redeem it for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance. You can go ahead and redeem my right to yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the manner in the former time in Israel concerning the redeeming and concerning changing or changing of land. For to confirm all, thi- or to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe, and he gave it to his neighbor, and this was a testimony in Israel. And therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, buy it for yourself. And so he drew off his shoe. Now this practice goes back to the days of Abraham, when God promised Abraham that every place the sole of your foot shall touch shall be yours, shall be claimed in my name for you. And so what this man was saying is, I'm taking off my shoe, take my shoe, because I have the right to claim this land, take my shoe and go walk on it yourself. The land is yours. I want nothing to do with it. And that was a time of very, uh, of a pretty extreme shame for this guy. This is how badly he wanted to avoid marrying Ruth and having to take care of Naomi. Now, up to this point, Boaz has been playing things really cool. All right, he's, he's just kind of been real calm. He's like, hey, there's this land out there, and if you don't want it, I'll buy it. Okay, if you don't want it, I'll, I'll let you off the hook, and, and I'll buy it, and our family will still save some face. It's kind of like when you go for a job interview at a place that you really, really want to work. Like, the, the pay is going to be like three times what you're already making. Uh, insurance benefits are going to be great. It's, going to, it's got, like, places for you to really climb up the ladder there. You're going to get a company car. You're going to get, like, four weeks of paid vacation and all this stuff. And you're thinking, man, I've got to have this job. And you, everything in you is crying out, fall on your knees, do whatever you must do to beg for this job. And they finally look at you and they say, you know what, we'll hire you. And they say, when can you start? And you just kind of sit back and you're like, yeah, you know, let me check my calendar and I'll get back with you. Right? That's kind of how Boaz has been playing it up until this point. But then he drops all pretense at this point. Now look at verse, now look at the next verse. He says in verse number nine, he says, Boaz says to the elders and unto all the people, So he basically shouts and calls for everybody that's awake at that time near the city gate. He says, gather round. And he says, this is the day, and you are all witnesses that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kilion's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I also acquired or purchased to be my wife to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And the name of the dead is not cut off from among his brethren. And from the gate of this place, you are all witnesses this day. So basically what he's saying is like everybody gather around and he basically just says, I love Ruth and I don't care who knows. It's kind of like from the movie Elf when uh, Will Ferrell busts into his dad's office and he's like, I'm in love, I'm in love and I don't care who knows it. It's basically kind of Boaz's idea here at this point. I mean, the guy's got it bad and he's declaring to the whole world, I want Ruth. Nobody else wants her, but I do. I see something in her that is precious and I see something that's redeemable. So I guess I'm not your typical guy because I'm reading this and I'm like in tears. I'm thinking, man, this is a beautiful story, right? This this has to get you. Even the hardest people in the world, this has to get you, right? And then in verse number 11, look what happens. And all the people that were in the gate, the elder said, we are witnesses and we will be witnesses to that. The Lord make the woman that has come into your house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel and, and do thou worthily in Ephrath and be famous in Bethlehem and let your house be like the house of Pharaoh, whom Tamar bore unto Judah of the seed of which the Lord shall give thee of this woman. They're like, if she's good enough for you, Boaz, and if, she's, if she has like bewitched you this much, then we like her too. 
We're going to accept her in. I don't care if she is from an enemy tribe. I don't care if she is from an enemy land and she's someone that we should be skeptical of. If she's good enough for you, she's one of us. So much so that we're going to hold her up and say, we want her to be like Leah and Rachel, the two matriarchs of their entire race, of their entire nation. We want her to be like that. Bless her that much. And then they pronounce a blessing over her and say, hey, we hope that you're fruitful and you're multiplying. Guess what? Verse 13, that's just what Boaz and Ruth go do, right? Boaz and Ruth. So Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife and, and uh, he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bare a son. And the women said to Naomi, probably the same women, by the way, who met Naomi in chapter one, welcoming her back when she thought that all she was going to come back and do was die in her homeland. The same woman look at, look at Naomi and they say that you are going to be blessed. It says, blessed be the Lord, which has not left you today without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto you a restorer of your life and a nourisher of your old age. For, your, uh, for thy daughter-in-law, which loves you, which is better to thee than seven sons. Now, sons were vital at this ancient time. If you didn't have a son, you didn't have a lineage. Things could not be passed on through the line of women. That was just kind of the cultural setup at that time. And this is why Naomi had no right over the land that was her deceased husband's. And so the fact that they, they were given a son is saying that, and, and the fact that they said that uh, Ruth is better to her than seven sons is saying, Man, it's better that you had Ruth in your life than anybody else, any other son. She's done more for you than any other son could do. And the women, and all, all the women, their neighbors, gave it a name. Or I'm sorry, and Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became a nurse to it. And the women, her neighbors, uh, gave the name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is, now get this, he is the father of Jesse, the father of David. So all of this going on, this undesirable woman ends up becoming like in the grandmotherly line of the king of Israel. Isn't that awesome? The rest of this chapter hits us with a, a genealogy, which we'll get to in just a minute. But so there we have it. There's the end. That's the story of Ruth. That's how everything took place. So it's a happily ever after ending, right? Ruth finally got her baby. Naomi got her grandson. Boaz got his woman. Boaz got his land. Everybody's happy right now, right? What we have to understand is, and what we've been looking at through this entire series, is just how much the gospel shines through in this story. And a good way to look at the Old Testament, anytime you look at an Old Testament book, is to understand that the Old Testament is always, in every chapter and every verse, pointing towards Jesus and pointing toward the redemption that he gives us. And so I want to, as we close out this morning, the, the time that we have left, I want to look at a couple of things because the, the title of this entire series has simply been Redeemed by Love. The whole story has taught us how redeeming love can change the world. This love story not only changed the life of Naomi and Ruth, but because it gave us David, and because later on out of David, David's line in the city of Bethlehem, later on a couple thousand years later would come this guy named Jesus. And this guy named Jesus would go to a cross to redeem all of us by his love. This story of redemption and Boaz's union here, this love story affects us sitting here today in 2020. This is how impactful and how real life the Bible is to us. Because of this love story, you and I are part of this heritage. We are part of this genealogy. We're part of this bloodline, spiritually speaking, because if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've been redeemed by his love, and that love was set up in part by God bringing a woman from Moab to a field that was owned by a guy named Boaz. Isn't that amazing? So let's look at how this plays out for us because this teaches us about redeeming love. Number one, the redeeming love of Christ will fight for us. The redeeming love of Christ will fight for us. Jesus loves us in a way that he will not stop. 
he will not stop loving us. The, you, can, you can try to make yourself as unlovable. You can deny. You can reject. You can run. You can look for all the reasons why he shouldn't. And people can tell you that he won't. But he will never stop fighting for you. It never stops. Just like the song we sang. God never stops working. Back in, back in verse number 18. Back in verse number 18 of, of chapter 3 of the text that we looked at last week. This set the stage for the fact of knowing that if Boaz was going to have Ruth, it wasn't going to come easily. He was going to have to fight for her. He was going to have to do some work, and he was going to have to pay a price in order for everything to work. Because Naomi says, my daughter, wait until you find out how things go, because he will not rest until he resolves the matter today. Did you catch that? Boaz will not rest until he has Ruth. That's the way that Jesus is for us. Jesus will not rest until he has us. That's his desire for all of us is that he wants all of us to come to him. Who doesn't, want, who doesn't love a guy or who doesn't want somebody who loves you so much that they're willing to go to the mat for you? Isn't that the, kind of, isn't that the way you kind of want to be loved? Isn't that the way we should love others, that we're willing to lay down whatever it takes for the good of the person that we love? It kind of reminds me of the theme song of Karate Kid Part 2. That's an old movie, right? But you remember that movie? That, you remember that song, I am the man who will fight for your honor. I'll be the hero that you're dreaming of. Peter Cetera's ultra-high voice makes it so much more impactful, all right? I'm serious. Like, go look it up. It's called The Glory of Love by Peter Cetera by Chicago. It'll change your life. I mean, honestly, look it up. It's good. It's good, all right? But this is kind of the idea I get when I see Boaz. Boaz is like, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to sit at the city gate, and I'm going to wait as long as it takes for this guy to come by. And we're going to get this settled. This is what Jesus is doing for us right now. Jesus is there. All the debt has been paid. Everything is there. He took care of everything at the cross, and he is sitting there today waiting and fighting for you. And he will overcome sin. He will overcome the claim that sin has on your life, and he overcame that at the cross. All we must do is come to him and say, Lord, I want to be redeemed. Will you redeem me like Naomi did to Boaz? You see, there's something else that we have to get from this. In verse number 5, Boaz goes straight to the city gate, and he basically throws out, you got this land guy that, that you can have if you want to. And this, this guy is unnamed, and he remains unnamed throughout the whole story, which I think is significant, which we'll talk about in just a second. But he goes, and he lays out, and he wants this land, and all of a sudden, this guy is salivating, man. He wants that land. He can get this land at a good price. He can expand his horizons. He can expand his wealth and all of that. He's like, this is awesome. Thank you for letting me know. And at that time, family members were competitive with one another. They ranked themselves on the scale of wealth. This guy was closer in line because he already had a lot. And so Boaz is sitting underneath him, and of course this guy wants to take the land because if he doesn't, Boaz is going to take it, and he may end up rising in rank above him. And so of course this guy wants to take it, but then he says in verse number 5, he throws this guy an uppercut in the fight. He says, hey, on the day that you buy the field from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabitess as your wife. And she's the wife of a deceased man. She's a widow to perpetuate the, name, the man's name on the property. So let's, let's look at this, and let's put ourselves in the mind of this unnamed guy. On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must. He's thinking, what? I have to do what? And then he says, you must also redeem Ruth. Who's she? Oh, she's a Moabitess. No, not our ancient enemies, not a foreigner, not someone who's a pagan, not someone who is, who is just, just a menace to our society. And he says, oh, yeah, by the way, she's the widow of the deceased. What? She's been married before? She's used goods? And I'm supposed to marry her when I buy the land? In order to raise up the name of the deceased, I'm responsible to give her an heir? I have to have a half-Gentile child? 
to raise him up on his inheritance. You mean I have to give the child this piece of land that I just bought as his inheritance, not mine? I don't get to pass it on in my name? As quickly as this guy said, I'll take the land, he is looking for a fire escape. And he's like, no, nah, man, I prayed about it. And I think that, you know, I, I just don't, I don't think that this, 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 this isn't going to work for me. And so he begins taking off his shoe and he would have taken off everything if that's what the law required because he didn't want to have anything to do with it because he had let his pride, his arrogance, the law, all of those things stand in the way of what God was really wanting to do. And this also teaches us something about our relationship with the law. This is what the law does for us. When we are only looking at the law, all the law does is condemn us. The law that we look at and we're trying to follow the rules and we're just trying to be good enough to make it to heaven and all those types of things, all it's going to do is leave us condemned, overwhelmed, and messed up. And when we're controlled by sin, all it's going to do is abuse us and use us and chew us up and spit us out. But then there's Jesus who says, I will redeem you in spite of all of those things. I see you as worthy in my eyes. See, Boaz didn't see foreigner. Boaz didn't see Dirty, rotten scoundrel. Boaz didn't see widow. Boaz didn't see mother-in-law. Get this, guys, have trouble trouble with your mother-in-law? I don't have trouble with my mother-in-law. I have a great relationship with her. But think about this. You're not just getting a mother-in-law. You're getting the woman's mother-in-law as your mother-in-law. All right, that's that's rough. And I think you'll you'll look back and read about that, and you'll see that's got to be some kind of crazy right there, right? I got to deal with all of this. This is what the law does to us. All it does is show us how bad it is. This is the way we look in the light of our sin. We're broken, we're used, but Jesus doesn't see us that way. Jesus sees us as something that he wants to redeem, something that he was willing to give everything and anything to redeem for us. So this guy, even though he's not given a name in the story, he's a living metaphor for the relationship that we have with the law. See, it's going to leave us overwhelmed by condemnation. It's going to leave us broken by the realization that we've gone too far. And that might be where you sit today. Think, you know what, in my sin, I've gone too far. But the love of Christ fights for us. There's one who was willing to go to the mat for us. Jesus went to the mat for us. And his mat was in the form of a cross. The second thing that we have to understand this morning um, in this, and and, and here's a verse out of Galatians chapter 4 that shows us exactly what Jesus did by fighting. It says, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we we, we might receive adoption as sons. So the love of Christ fights for us. Jesus came, just like Boaz went to the gate, and he did all that was necessary for our sin debt to be paid. The second thing we have to see is the redeeming love of Christ redeems us of our past. Now, I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but who in here has a past? Every, I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but I appreciate you being really open. We all have pasts. Every single one of us have a past. Some pasts may be darker than others, but really... We're just kind of holding that up in comparison to ourselves because we don't want to make us look that bad. All of us have a dark past because we're all born dead in our trespasses and sin. But Boaz was prepared to love Ruth his whole life. Here's a question that I thought as I was studying for the series is this. Why does Boaz want Ruth so bad? Why is he so willing to redeem her? I mean, the guy that we just saw saying, I don't want anything to do with the land if I have to have something to do with Ruth. That's basically how most of the people were looking at her. I mean, they've been trained their whole life to say, somebody outside of Israel, that's, we can't have her. We're not going to start having, you know, we're not going to start doing all that. And they, they had wrongly looked at this because what they had looked at as being because of, because of race or because of nationality, 
God was saying, I don't want anyone marrying outside of Israel because of their religious equality. Not because of that. It had nothing to do with their nationality or their heritage. It had more to do with the fact that those people were pagan and it would mess up their faith that would lead to Jesus. And so what they had come to thinking is, if you're outside our clan, you don't belong here. And you're going to mess everything up. And it was just a sign of, you have a curse upon you, which was not the truth. And then here we go, and we look at what happened with Boaz. Boaz looks at this woman totally different than anybody else. Why? Well, the answer to that question starts in verse number 21. In verse 21 of our text, down in the genealogies, you'll see that Boaz's father is a guy named Salmon. Now, outside of being named after a very tasty fish, Salmon is pretty important. Salmon is mentioned there in the genealogies, but Salmon is also mentioned a little further over in the New Testament. I invite you to go with me to... Matthew chapter 1, real quick. And if you were here back in December during our Christmas uh, Christmas Upside Down series, where we started going through uh, the first couple couple chapters of Matthew, we remember we went through these genealogies, and we found out that there are some women that are noted in the genealogies, and anytime there's a woman noted in a genealogy in Jewish heritage, it's because it notes that something took place outside the norm. Either a person was from outside the tribe or some kind of something took place that just wouldn't necessarily be um, on the up and up. And so look at what we see as we come to Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 5. It says, And Salmon, the same Salmon, begat Booz, all right, of Rechab. And then Booz begat Obed of Ruth. So we see Ruth's name mentioned there, right? So we see that Obed lies in that because we see that he's part of the genealogy of Jesus which is awesome in and of itself. But I want you to go back up because here's where, um, reading, I'm reading out of the King James this morning, and here's where we see a little bit of a, of a distinction. You see some of the names have changed a little bit from what we know in the Old Testament. We see booze is actually Boaz. It's just because it has something to do with when they translated from the Greek text into the English text, it got, it got transliterated a little bit different. So I'm going to look at, if you would, put up on the, the screen um, the CSB version, which kind of brings all those things together. It says, Salmon, Father Boaz, by who? Catch that. Salmon fathered Boaz by a woman named Rahab. Now, if you remember the story of Jericho, when the walls came down, remember that the spies went into Jericho and they ended up finding a place to hide from the forces of Jericho and they hid at this woman named Rahab's house. And Rahab didn't have a very good reputation in the city. She was a prostitute. And she saved not only these spies from being found out, but she also saved the plan of the Israelites to take the city of Jericho. And because of that, because she had trusted in God and decided to convert to worshiping God, God allowed her to be spared. She was the only resident of Jericho who was spared their life when they took the city of Jericho. And because of that, God also ordained through Joshua that she would be able to live among them and be taken in as one of them. And then after that happens, this guy, this soldier named Salmon, meets her and marries her, even though everybody else thought, why would you marry somebody from outside our tribe? And she did that, and all of a sudden, here comes this guy named Boaz, who's a product of their relationship. His entire life, he had been planning, or he had been treated and being trained for this moment to receive Ruth as his wife. Let me tell you something. When I was preparing that this week, I had to take like an hour away just because it, it wrecked me. I had never seen that. You know what that tells us? 
is that Jesus is fighting for us and that Jesus loves us and his redeeming love overcomes all of our past because no longer is Rahab remembered just as a prostitute. She's remembered as the mother of Boaz, one of the great-grandmothers of David, one of the great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmothers of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Son of God. You know what that tells me? There is no limit that we can, there's no place that we can go to that God has limits on his grace to redeem. Nothing. And all this time you may be thinking that all your mistakes and all your mess ups and all that stuff is just too much for God to handle. He's like, I got this. I got this. And not only will I redeem you, I'm going to make you part of an amazing story that brings me glory. So his love, his redeeming love redeems us of our past. The next thing is that the redeeming love of Christ welcomes us in. So after Boaz has redeemed Ruth and said, hey, I want to I marry her, and he stands before the entire city, and he says, hey, this is going to be my woman. It's going to be my wife. I'm, I, the land, that's great, but I want Ruth. She's my prize, and I'll even take her crazy mother-in-law with it. He's my prize. And he says to the whole city, there's this moment that just because he had been trained his whole life differently than everybody else didn't mean that everybody else had. But when they saw how much he loved her, they were overwhelmed and it changed them. You can almost, I can just picture it, you know, as Boaz is, is talking and saying, I love this woman, Ruth, and I want her as my wife. And I, w- I want all of you to be witnesses. I don't want anybody else coming in and trying to mess this up. And out of the, out of the midst of the, of the, in a very dramatic way like the movies do, you know, here comes Ruth just sheepishly walking up and he puts his arm around her and says, this is my wife. And the city basically cheers for her. And they say, we're not only going to welcome her in, we wish to God that she would become a woman that is as important as, as Leah and as Rachel, the matriarchs of our entire people. And we want God to give you everything, every blessing that should come to you. They fully and completely welcomed her in because of the example of Boaz's redemption. And I think this says something to us as a church today is that if we're going to truly be the people of Jesus, then we need to have the heart of Jesus and we need to act like Jesus. That Jesus loves us so much that he says, no matter what sin you have, no matter what color you may be, no matter where you may be from, I went to the cross for you. And as the church of Jesus Christ, we need to be like that city that welcomes all of men. The Bible tells us that all of heaven rejoices when one sinner comes to repentance. And as the church of Jesus Christ, we need to have a party every time someone comes to Christ and not look at them and say, well, hold on, let's think about your past. Let's think about, no, nah, man, we have nothing to do with their past. The blood of Christ has to do with their past. Our blood can't do anything about it. Jesus's does. And if he says, I'll receive you, then we receive it. And we receive them as well. The redeeming love of Christ welcomes us in. It impacted the entire city. The love of Christ is always will, ready and willing to welcome us in. Jesus said in Matthew, he says, Come to me, all that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. What that means is he knows what sin does to us. He knows what it's like living out in Moab. And he says, Come to me and find rest. But you have to come to me. That, la- that, that verse in Galatians that we looked at just a minute ago, here's what it says right after that. It says, And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, which means Daddy. 
That's how closely he draws us in to call him our dad. You are no longer a slave or a widow or abandoned. You are a son or you are a child of God. And if you are a son, then God has made you an heir. The redeeming love of Christ fully welcomes you into the family with open arms. He doesn't say, all right, I'll I'll welcome you in, but you're going to start out like at a lower class, and then you can move your way up. No, he fully welcomes you in as a joint heir with Jesus Christ. The redeeming love of Christ also, as we move along, the redeeming love of Christ gives us a future. When Boaz welcomed Ruth in, it changed her life. It also changed Naomi's. Because Ruth went from being a widow who was destitute and had no one to fight for her to all of a sudden now being a baroness of a wealthy landowner, a noble in Bethlehem, with all rights and privileges thereof. The redeeming love of Christ draws us in and takes us from being peasants in sin, destitute and beaten up by the, just the, the stench of the death of our sin that we're born in and takes us and makes us a child of God, a prince or a princess of the kingdom of God. It's a beautiful picture of the future that we have. And we see in verse number 13 that God gives Ruth and Boaz a son. And his name is, and his name is Obed. Now this son does something for them that's amazing. Because remember, part of the deal was that when they had a son, and if they had a son, that all that land would go to that son, but in the name of Ruth's deceased husband, which meant Boaz was willing to pass all of the glory on to this other guy. Jesus, when he was on the cross, did this for the glory of God the Father. And when he did that, he did that to give a future to the family and to restore a future that was broken. By the way, when we sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, in the Garden of Eden, he destroyed a future and broke a future. When Jesus was on the cross, he put that future back together and restored it. When we come to him as Savior, he restores that future that was broken in Eden. Another thing that's interesting is the mention of the fact that Ruth and Boaz's names became famous in Bethlehem. And that sounds really cool, but let me tell you how, how famous Boaz's name actually became. See, a few generations down the road after David, David's going to have a son named Solomon who becomes the third king of Israel. And Solomon is used by God to build the temple, something that the Israelites wanted all the time. They wanted for, for ever since they were a people wandering in the wilderness. They finally built a temple, and outside the temple, holding up the the big porch, which is called Solomon's Porch, were two huge bronze columns. And everyone passed through those columns, between those columns, to go into the temple every single day that they came to worship. And there were two names that were etched into one column. There was a name etched into one column and a name etched into the other column. Guess whose name is etched into the left-hand column of Solomon's temple? The name of Boaz. For generations until that temple fell, everyone that passed into the temple of God to worship is reminded of him, reminded of this name, Boaz, who would one day mimic the kinsman redeemer of Jesus Christ. You tell me God's not working and putting all this together, right? His name became famous. Ruth's name became famous because she's listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And I know we don't get into this, following Jesus to become famous, because he said, if you're going to follow me, it's like taking up a cross and dying. It's a call to die more than it is a call for anything. But we are only made famous, and we are only made immortal by coming to Jesus, the famous one. You want to live forever? You want to live a life that matters beyond the here and now and today? Live it for Jesus. Live it with him. The redeeming love of Christ gives us a future. And then Naomi's future, 
And think about what happened with Naomi. The Bible said that, you know, she's got this grandson. Now, guess how long she's been waiting for a grandson? Ruth and Orpah had been married for 10 years to her sons and never had a child. Ruth is probably barren, and God miraculously gives her a child. Naomi's been waiting for a child, and and the Bible specifically says in our text, it says the women take note of the fact that that this child will restore her life and rejuvenate her spirit. Jesus Christ restores our hope and rejuvenates our spirit, and we follow him. It gives us a purpose and a passion for the life that we live. We're no longer just living for the here and now. We're living for Jesus Christ and for his kingdom and for the joy and the glory of God's name. It gives us a new purpose and a new meaning. We're taken, like Ruth, we're taken from being a barren outcast to being a fruitful child, an heir of glory. Now, let's, all close this, let's close this all up real quickly. God is always working his plan of redemption. That's the overarching point of this entire book, is that God is always working his plan of redemption. Always. He never takes a day off. He never stops working. He's always working. You may be sitting at a point right now where you feel like God has taken not only a day off, he's taken a a couple years off in my life, maybe even a couple decades. I want to encourage you this morning with an ancient love story where God was working everything together, bringing these people together for his glory and for our good, that God is always working. Even when you don't see it, he's working. This is why the gospel is so beautiful. Because it shows us that just because the gospel message was established thousands of years ago, the gospel message is still being taken every day. God is still working to see the gospel message change our lives today. Even before Ruth and Boaz and Naomi, there was a woman named Rahab who had been known throughout the city of Jericho as a prostitute, as a woman just to be used up. But when she comes to God, she's changed into a woman who is desirable to one of God's soldiers, and she becomes the grandmother of a king. And then she becomes the great, 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 great grandmother of a savior. He's always working his plan of redemption. But if you're going to see his plan of redemption come to fruition, you have to allow him to work. And you have to follow his lead in what he is doing. The beautiful message of the gospel is that he is always about the business of redemption. See, the word redemption is used 23 times in this four-chapter book. Redemption means that the unloved are loved, that the poor are restored, that the inheritance that's been lost because of sin is reclaimed through the generosity of another person who did not have to give, but gave everything for it to be restored. Bitterness and sorrow is restored to sweetness and to joy. And the book of Ruth starts with a death by Naomi uh, losing her husband, by Ruth and Orpah losing their husbands. It's marked by death, but it ends with a a genealogy that lists an account of births. Why is that? It's because Ruth ends with a genealogy because the Bible ends with a resurrection. The Bible doesn't end in death. The gospel story doesn't end in death. The gospel story ends in life. And for the world, life starts, but then it ends with death. That's what's backwards here. For us, life, we think, starts with birth, but then it ends with death. But the gospel tells us that life starts in death and sin, but because of Jesus, it can end in life and resurrection through the power of the gospel of Jesus. And so I'll close with this question this morning. A lot of times we ask this question, is, okay, how do I see the Bible working in my life? And here's the question that we're posed with after Ruth. How's your story going to end? That's the big question you're left with. How's your story going to end? More importantly, where, when is your story going to begin? And that has to all start at the cross. 
And so as we go into a time of prayer and, and, and get ready for our, our time of invitation this morning, the words of the hymn, and you'll see this on the screen, the words of the old hymn came to my mind today, there is a fountain filled with blood. And it says this, redeeming love has been my theme and it shall be till I die. The theme of this entire book is the redeeming love of Jesus Christ. Thousands of years before Jesus would even come, we start to see where that love begins to take shape. Rahab, Ruth, Obed, Jesse, David, Mary, Joseph, Jesus. All of it came from the same place. That origin started to take place. Redeeming love is the theme of the Bible. And he wants it to be the theme of your life. And the question is, is it the theme of your life today?